Hi everyone, this is the Supported Sobriety Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm in recovery from an addiction to pornography. And I'm Katie, and I've been married to Matt and supporting him in his addiction for four years. We created this podcast to bring hope, healing, and greater understanding to both men struggling with pornography addiction and women who support someone struggling with an addiction. I upload episodes for men with pornography addictions. And I upload episodes for the women who are supporting their loved one. We share real stories from members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen, and we believe everyone can benefit from finding peace through Jesus Christ. We hope that this podcast can bring you closer to Jesus Christ and help you on your journey of recovery and healing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Supported Sobriety. Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of Supported Sobriety. I'm excited to get in and share this episode that I did. Um, But before I do, I just wanted to say that Katie and I have been seeing so many amazing miracles and hearing so many stories of people finding healing and hope and recovery through the 12-step program, through repentance, through Jesus Christ. And we have just been so psyched on this program and so excited to share it with as many people as we can. We feel like it is such an important time to get out and to find healing, to share this message with others. And so um, we are excited to do that through our podcast. We're excited to do that as facilitators, as mentors, as sponsors, and we're excited for all of you to do that as well. So if there's anyone that comes to your mind that could use this podcast or that could use a a good meeting, um, please share this resource with them and and share any other resources that you have um, because this this program, this... um, healing that we can find through Jesus Christ is so powerful and we just feel so strongly that we need to get it out to everyone um, around us. It's like the medicine that works for you that you want to share it with everyone after that. I know a lot of groups are meeting in person now, which is so exciting. I know our meeting in Provo, our couples meeting that meets every Sunday at 6 p.m. is starting up again and we are just so excited to get out and do that. So please come to the meetings and, and tell everyone about that. Um, This episode that I have for you today is an interview that I did with Kevin. He is a facilitator, and he's been going through the program for quite a while, and so he's got some great experience and some good expertise that he shares with us tonight. One of the things that I loved most about my interview with Kevin is that he took action. I hear so often from people going through the program about how hard it is and all the reasons why they haven't been finding success. And I definitely validate those reasons, and I I stand by those who are struggling and working through the program. It is so difficult to find true recovery from addiction. But what I love about Kevin is that he rises above the excuses to take action. Um, He he knows that step four is going to be hard for him, so he takes action to alleviate those problems and and make it a lot better. He knows that um, TV is hard for him or video games and stuff like that, and he makes actual changes in his life, which I love. And that action is met by faith and by um, his belief in miracles. And he sees a few of them in his story today, and he's able to recognize those miracles. I think that is a skill that a lot of us um, really need to cultivate, the ability to see and recognize miracles. And between taking action and seeing miracles in his life, Kevin is really able to overcome his addiction and make it a tool, change that weakness into a strength. And so... I love the way that he sees his addiction. I love his perspective, and I'm excited to share this episode, so I hope that you enjoy it. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing, doing pretty good. 
Good. Glad to hear it. I'm, I'm glad that you can be on the show. Glad that you can be here with us. Why don't we start by just hearing a little bit about you? Why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I was born and raised here in Utah. Uh, about five and a half years ago, I moved down here to Provo from Eagle Mountain. I've been married for 10 years now. We have, we have no kids. I'm currently working. Uh, I'm a truck driver. I deliver doors and finished material. I'm going to school at Weber State. Kind of going to school a little bit later than most people do. I decided truck driving is not what I want to do for the rest of my life and that I actually want to pursue other things. And I feel like I've been led to go into healthcare management, wanting to learn how to how hospitals run, how a clinic is run, and pursue a, a degree in management there. Uh, so that, uh, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, that's so cool. I love I love that you've been you, you're going back to school. I think that's so cool of kind of finding something, um, you know, later and, and going into it. I think I was just telling my friend yesterday of, I, I feel like as I've gone through school, it's, it's like, I don't appreciate like how valuable it is, but like someone like you, who's you're, I don't know, driving trucks, but you want to do something more like it's, there's so much more value there. I think that's awesome. I think it's also given me a lot more motivation to do well. There's a lot more writing on this because my wife is, is dependent upon it. I feel like there's just a lot more weight in having me going back to school and doing well. And especially since I'm, I'm upfronting the cost of it as well. Well, that's so cool. Why don't we kind of shift gears here and have you tell us a little bit about your addiction and where it started? So for me, I think it's, it's a lot like a lot of other people. Uh, my addiction started when I was, was young. Uh, when I, when I really look back and start digging into it, I think it was, when I was about in fifth grade, um, we were doing an assignment. We had to make a collage thing with magazines, pictures and stuff. And there was one magazine where there was some uh, very uh, explicit pictures in it. And some other students were showing me it and it kind of intrigued me. I think that was my, my first look in, into pornography. But then um, as time went on, I had a friend who I'd go, I would think I was about 11 at this time. So a couple of years later, and we'd go over to, I'd go over and hang out at his house all the time. And he had a couple older sisters and they were very much big into uh, Victoria's Secret. And they had the magazines, catalogs, and my friend would show me, show me, them, hey, look at this, look at this. And so we'd, we'd look through them. And so this was the first really big moment I think where my addiction really got grounded after a couple of years my friend he started he met other friends made other friends and I didn't like those those kind of guys so our friendship kind of we went we went separate ways and over time I couldn't really indulge in my addiction at the time I had no idea that it that's what it was and then as I got older I got more into video games and I started, you know, I started looking for demos and things to play, and I found that I gravitated more to the more explicit games. I would do those, and then at the time, Hollywood Video, Blockbuster was still a thing. Redbox, Netflix, they didn't exist, and so I would go to the local movie rental place, and I would start picking out movies that the covers were very suggestive, and then once I turned 18... Then I actually started getting more suggestive 
stuff and movies that that did contain full nudity and my addiction just started progressing more and more uh, masturbation didn't come into play until right before my mission i had no idea what it was my parents uh, it was a very taboo thing in my family and my parents didn't explain a lot of things which i think is what made me more curious about it because it was a whole new world that I had discovered that I didn't know anything about. Um, I Deep down, I knew that it was wrong. Somehow, I, I just knew uh, my leaders, you know, they, t- they taught me growing up that this was bad, that was bad, but I didn't really make the connection until right before my mission. And so I stopped, I stopped in, indulging in my addiction so that I could go on a mission. And I found myself on my mission and I got stuck with a lot of, uh, in, in our mission, we call them apostate missionaries, missionaries that weren't really obedient to the rules and kind of did their own thing. And because of that, and we weren't, we weren't being faithful and obedient missionaries, I fell back into my addiction. And I started finding newspapers and other materials that had suggestive pictures and I would basically build a little secret collection of them. And then I'd act out. But then I got, then after about a year on my mission, I got put with a lot of missionaries that were really good, hardworking missionaries. And I made, I made a big change mentally in my mission. I really wanted to work hard. And I, I felt the spirit very strongly. And I, I want to make the Lord proud. And my mission present was a big uh, f- factor into that. So I worked hard the rest of my, my mission. I, I didn't indulge. And I was afraid to tell my mission president because I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to feel like a disgrace. There was other um, guys that I grew up with that got sent home early, medical reasons, and then some other ones that weren't specified. But they, people, I could always hear, you know, hear people, oh, why did they come home? You know, what did they do? And I didn't want that. So I just kept it to myself. And then shortly after I came home, I felt I fell right back into it. And this time I had bought a computer and I fully became entrapped in the addiction. Uh, nothing, nothing was really held back this time. I had full access to material and after having served the mission, I knew, I knew that what I was doing was completely wrong. And so this time I did go talk to my bishop. He was very kind and loving, and he helped me work through it. Uh, about almost a year after I got home from my mission and working through starting the recovery process, I did not do tw- the 12-step program. I didn't want to go to any meetings. I was afraid that there was going to be people there that I knew. And the kind of the judgment there. So I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. I met my wife and we got engaged pretty quick. And I told her about my addiction. And then she told me that uh, in her past, she had worked through her own, her own problems. So she was very understanding. And so we worked with the bishop and I ended up having a relapse that caused us to delay our, our wedding by a month. But then after that, I was clean for about a year, and then I fell right back into it. And this is about the time that we had 
we had been struggling with our ward. Uh, we had felt like we were kind of outcasts in our ward. Uh, a lot of people weren't that friendly to us. Um, and so we just became, we just fell away and kind of became less active. We still had strong testimonies in the gospel, but we just felt very unwelcomed in our ward. And it was during this time that I ended up falling right back into my addiction and was in my addiction for quite a, for about two or three years. And I knew it was time to go, to go back to church, to get clean, to become worthy. And so I went and talked to the Bishop. And once again, this Bishop was very loving and kind. And it was awesome because we could relate because he was actually a former alcoholic. And so he gave me a lot of um, insight and good advice and counsel because he himself uh, was recovered from an addiction. And we became, we became pretty good friends. And my wife was involved with this the whole time. I told her, hey, I'm struggling. I've been acting out for a couple of years now. And she was with me the whole time. And I met on and off with that bishop. And then uh, he was released and a new bishop came in and I kept working with him. And I was able to stay clean for about a year or two. We moved to this new home and I fell back into the addiction. And this time I was, when I fell back in, I was, it was probably the hardest point in my life. And I was very much entrapped in my addiction and I couldn't get out. And I was, at, this was it, I was in my addiction for about three years. I didn't tell my wife. I kept the secret from her. On my mission, there was a video that I absolutely loved. And it was, it was Glenn Beck's conversion story. And it was just, it was a video of him going through and talking about his whole conversion story. And he was a very, he was very much an alcoholic. And he was talking about how he got over that and started going into recovery. And he start he had a friend that was LDS that started encouraging him to come to church and he didn't really want anything to do with it. And he was living the life and drinking. And he said he was just starting to have lots of blackouts and he got really scared. I knew he needed to get, he needed to get clean. He knew that there was a God. He didn't know anything about who the, who God really was or anything. He just knew that there was a God. So he started praying and asking for help. And he started having some sobriety, but he was basically white knuckling it, just sheer determination not to drink. And he was getting so depressed that he knew he was going to give in. And so he was constantly praying for a miracle. And he, he prayed that God, he's like, okay, you got to do something for me or else I'm going to give in. And he got to the point where he's like, okay, if you don't do anything for me, I'm going to drink on this day at this time. And he kept praying all the way up to that day. And then he said that even, even driving there, he was praying. He's like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm serious about this. And when he got to the bar, he ordered his drink and there was a girl, a woman that he had worked around for about a year or two. And when he was about to take the drink, he looked over and there she was. And he said it was clear in his mind that she was his roadblock that God had put her there 
to keep him from drinking. And so he put down the drink without drinking it, went and talked to her, and they went out to get some food. And later on, they ended up getting married. So through those three years that I was entrapped in this, that story was stuck in my mind. And I really, I wanted, I wanted help. I wanted a miracle. I wanted some kind of roadblock that Heavenly Father would intervene and, and help me get out of it. So I would pray and pray and pray. And in, at the end of 2017, I had a distinct impression that me and my wife need to go visit her parents in Maryland, specifically that she needed to go visit her parents. And you know, I'd go with her, but I also felt like something amazing was going to happen that would change our lives. And my wife has some infertility problems. And we were hoping that this miracle that was going to change our lives was actually a child. You know, that time came and it was September. I even knew, I even knew like the, the month and the week that we were supposed to go. And so that time came and we went to Maryland. It, it was an awesome trip. We went and saw a lot of historic church, historical sites and went to so saw Niagara Falls, Statue of Liberty. It was an amazing trip, but it was Two days before the and the we were supposed to go home, I remember just sitting there one morning going, okay, this has all been great and amazing, but where's this miracle thing that was supposed to happen that I've been having promptings about? Well, my wife and mother-in-law decided to they they wanted to go shopping. And I, I didn't want to go with them. I was kind of bummed about that I haven't had this miracle yet. And my I was like, Okay, did I misinterpret? Um, starting to question my faith or belief in in this and what we were doing here, and I ended up relapsing three times that day before my wife and mother-in-law got home. When they got home, they're like, "Okay, let's go." You know, they had a pool in the backyard. Let's let's go swimming. And I was like, "No, I don't want to." My wife convinced me to go do it, and so we went swimming, and it was a lot of fun. But through swimming and hanging out with, with her brothers and we're challenging each other. Uh, I was challenged to sprint across the backyard and dive and see if I could see if I could swim the whole length of the pool, just off of the momentum. And so I went and did that. And as I dove in, I didn't realize that from the, sh the deep end to the shallow end, that concrete was a very sharp rise. And all I remember is this nailing my face into the concrete. I'd even know it was there. Uh, full momentum and just hit my face on the concrete. And I was dazed for a while for, it was a second or two. Then I, I pushed myself up and I walked out of the pool and I couldn't think very clearly for the first little bit. And it took a second for my wife to actually realize that there was blood running down my face and that something had happened. So she sat me down and cleaned off my face and she was concerned about concussion. So she was asking me math questions and I was answering them just fine. And then they went off to her and her mom went to go get some stuff to, to help me. And I remember just sitting there looking at the pool and going, nothing's happened this whole time, except for that. And then it dawned on me as like, was this it? Was this the miracle that I was wanting and asking for, praying for, for so long? 
And I found that from that moment to the fall through a whole, it was a whole solid week. I had no temptations. There was no lustful desires. It seemed like my addiction ceased to exist. And it was the first time in so many years I've ever experienced that. And I knew without a doubt that this was it, that this was my miracle that God blessed me with. And I knew this was the moment that I need to take advantage of it. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to my bishop the following Sunday. I need to tell my wife about this. We're going to, we're going to start. We're going to get going on my recovery. I remember just on the, the day that I was like, that I had set aside to tell my wife, I remember sitting in the car and I was really nervous because I knew it was going to, in my mind, I knew it was going to break her heart and, and probably end up destroying, it might even destroy our relationship. But I knew deep down that if I kept going in my addiction, it would destroy our relationship. So I remember praying and asking Heavenly Father, hey, give me the courage that I need to tell my wife. And I remember very distinctly the words coming into my mind, your wife is your greatest asset. And so that gave me courage to go talk to her in it. She was very hurt by it, but uh, she was very supportive in me. So that she came with me, we went and talked to our bishop and my, he, he was very understanding and loving. Uh, but this bishop, he told me, he told me very uh, straightforward. He said, you need to go to the 12-step meeting. He says, it is imperative that you go. You can't, re- you're not going to recover without going. And so I very reluctantly agreed to go. And he told my wife, he's like, you need to go to the support group that is tied to those meetings. And so she agreed. And so we started going and that the 12-step program made all the difference. Being able to sit down with other guys that were going through the exact same thing that I had gone through and they, for, to hear their stories about their recoveries or their trials and their struggles. And then that just gave me strength and encouragement. And as time went on, the knowledge of what Heavenly Father had done for me propelled me to, to not look back, to not give in to my addiction. And so I just kept going. I kept working on the program, the 12 steps, uh, steps four and five were uh, tough, but they were some of the most amazing revelations to me about who I am, about the nature of my addiction. And the fact that a lot of other people have gone through very similar experiences. And so Ken, I actually have a question for you about that about step four and five, I I know a lot of people get really like hung up on those and like uh, spend a lot of time either working through them or kind of never get through them or just like really nervous about them. What, what do you feel like for you made it just like such, I know, so powerful and helped you like get through it rather than just getting caught up on it. So for me, it took me, it takes everyone a while to do step four. For me, it took, it took about a month or two and I finally came up with the mentality. It's like, I, you know, with a band-aid, you just rip it off. Yeah. Don't, don't take your time with it. Just, just do it. Just get it over with. And so I was, that's what I did with step four. Um, I took two Saturdays and I set time aside and I put myself in a, as private place as I could, that was still public in a sense where there was still kind of traffic 
yeah. because going through step four for me was a major trigger. It was, it was going through all of the memories of when indulging in my addiction and then the things that happened to me in the past. And so it was, it was very triggering. And so I put myself in an environment, but for me, I just needed to get them done. And so yeah. I just went through and started going through all the memories and situations. And I, I created an Excel. I basically followed the 12, the step four in the guidebook or the ARP book, Excel and the columns and all that kind of stuff. And I filled it out. And when I filled it out and started analyzing my whole, basically my whole life addiction, I started finding out, well, I struggle with rejection. I struggle with um, what other people think of me. And I, you know, I could start picking out very root causes of my addiction and it made it so that I could visit what I'm doing now and start removing things and tweaking things in my life that would remove things that would trigger me in the future so that I could live more, have a more peace-filled life. And it required me to uh, remove a lot of, a lot of things from my life. And I'd always ask the question, you know, is this thing more important than, than my recovery, my, you know, happiness, peace. And it's like, okay, it's not. So it, so it would go video games were one of the first things to go. Cause I realized that video games for me, at least was a massive trigger and it caused a lot of problems. So I got rid of it. And so it was just, other things, but I, at this point, I didn't have a sponsor, and I felt like, oh well, Heavenly Father's blessed me; He's given me this miracle. Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father are my—they're my sponsors, which, which they are. But at step five, I knew my wife could not be the person I read my my inventory to, and there was another guy in the program who I knew was a sponsor, and so I wanted him. I felt like he needed to do it. As soon as I wanted him to do it, um, he was going to a whole different set of meetings and I didn't have his number or anything. And I was praying. I felt like he needed to do it. And I was like, okay, well, how do I get a hold of this? And so I decided one morning to go to the temple while we still could mm -hmm. uh, before COVID. And I was, I was just going to go do an endowment session. I went and went into the chapel to sit down. And as I was walking to the chapel, lo and behold, this guy was sitting in the front row and there was an empty spot next to him. Wow. And I knew that that heavenly father was once again, clearing the way to help me in my recovery. So I went and sat down and talked to him and we set up a time. And when I went and did my fifth step with him and told him everything, his eyes were closed and he would just nod every once in a while. And I thought, man, I'm pouring my heart out. And telling him something that I've never told a lot of people or like anyone. And is he falling asleep on me? And then I realized, no, no, he's not. He's relating my experiences to what he's gone through. And that was the moment that I realized that a lot of other people have gone through very similar or exact situations as I have, that I'm really not alone in this and that Heavenly Father's you know, really helping me out here. So for me, step four and fives were probably, if not them, they, they were probably the most crucial steps in the, in recovery for me. Cause they're the ones that taught me about who I am the most deep down inside. So about a year, a little over a year after 
I started my recovery. I was, I was sober about a year. I started getting into, that's when I started school back up and I'm going to Weber state and it's up in Ogden and that's about an hour and a half drive. So I'm doing it all online up to this point in my recovery. I have been trying to limit how much computer time I, I have every day. Um, this was different because I was having to spend a lot of time on, on the computer. And there was quite a, there, I had one or two classes that required me to, uh, for the reports and different things, presentations, I had to gather pictures. And one of them was a anatomy class. And that proved a very difficult class, uh, especially talking about the human body. And it exposed me to a lot of images, even though they were non-sexual pictures, it was, it was still explicit enough and that it, w- it was triggering enough that it caused me a lot of problems. And it, it caused me to have enough of a problem and I was having enough of exposure to it that I considered, I was considering it um, a minor, having a minor relapse with it. It was invoking too much stimulation and emotion that I felt like it was a, it was a major problem for me. So I went and talked to my Bishop and we were able to come up with a plan and, and work through it. And then time went on and um, in the ARP meeting, we didn't have a facilitator. They'd all moved. And one of them was busy working. He was out of town all the time. And so the missionaries approached me and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, I would, I would agree to do it. Because I, at this point, I, I, I love the 12-step program. I love being able to go there and socialize with the guys and, and bond with them. And there's a, the spirit, the sense of the spirit there is different than, than I've ever experienced before. I felt like this is a group of guys together um, that are actively trying their hardest to apply the atonement into their lives and be obedient to the commandments. And it brought a sense of the spirit that I've never felt anywhere else. And so I was very happy to become a facilitator and to, and uh, to have the responsibility to keep going. And, and that responsibility helped me out too in my recovery because I knew there was a lot of guys that were looking up to me and that were expecting me to be a, a role model and an example. And so that gave me a lot of encouragement um, and in some cases helped me from relapsing at certain times, knowing that others were uh, depending on me. And so I just continued to t- continue on. And I have to say that the recovery program, even with the 12 steps, and uh, I, I started reading the Book of Mormon every day, and I was working really hard on praying and developing a relationship with Heavenly Father. This is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, It is not it's not easy by any means it's rewiring and changing how you think how you act over you know a whole lifetime of behaving and acting a certain way and satan does not go easy on you Uh, i felt like most times that he was giving it everything he got and some days it took everything i had to pray to not give in and somehow some way at the end of the day it was a miracle in and of itself that I didn't give in and I didn't relapse and that 
I knew I was being supported by, by Heavenly Father. And, but over time, I had experiences like that, the overburning. But then I had different things. And I felt like every single time I pushed through them, that I felt the spirit stronger. And I felt like something inside me clicked and was fixed. And the more of these that I experienced over time, the more peace I could feel, the happier I started noticing I was happier more often. I could think clear. Uh, I was able to start really focusing on everyday tasks and not put them off. Uh, I was able to learn more about finances because in my addiction, I was really struggling with finances and I'd spend a lot of money and we're take out credit cards and different things like that to pay the bills and debt collectors would call all the time. And my wife was getting tired of it. And so as I went through this program and I was, Heavenly Father was able to help me fix me. And I was able to address problems like that and get our finances in order, but then also to be more loving at home and to not get irritable, be irritable all the time and to be a better husband to, to my wife. And I, I think that those little trials that we go through, they're there to really help us out. I'm very grateful for those trials. They, they're terrible and I don't enjoy them, but what happens afterwards, I, I am very grateful for ever, ever since then. Um, I've just been continuing to try to do the things that to help me draw closer to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, that's so awesome. It really seems like you have developed kind of a, a great like ability, I guess, to kind of correct yourself and see where you're at and make sure that you're kind of staying on the course. Um, listening to your story, I think a lot of things really stuck out to me as just kind of really impressive things and things that I feel like others could apply. And one of them, I think, is it's probably a spiritual gift, but like your ability to really pray for help from Heavenly Father and then receive that and recognize the reception of what you prayed for. And I think um, you praying for, um, you know, a miracle or something to come up to push you and boost you out of your addiction and then having your accident in the pool and you praying just like during low points and but there were a lot of moments when you prayed for something and really like received it and just were like so faithful and like, and using prayer as a tool. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that or how others could apply that, especially others who maybe lack faith or are struggling, um, you know, in their addiction? For, for me, prayer, even, even during the time that I became less active, uh, prayer was probably the only thing that I, rem- I kept doing every day. I, I don't know why, but prayer has always been, part of me but i found that with prayer and especially with recovery one of the greatest uh things i think goes right along with prayer is gratitude being able to recognize to to pray for something for help but then being able to recognize when it does happen and to then pray and thank heavenly father that he did answer the prayer Uh, sometimes he answers in a way that you weren't expecting or that you didn't want but then still being able to recognize, hey, this is helping me out. This is blessing me in some way and being grateful for that. And I think the gratitude for it 
helps you to be able to have your prayers answered. I, I don't want to say more often, but, but uh, in a sense, yes. I feel like Heavenly Father is, he's grateful that when we're grateful, and so he's more prone to bless us because of the, because of our gratitude to him and what he does for us. And so for me, I think prayer tool, but gratitude goes right along with it. And it, it seems like, this kind of reminds me just of, you know, as you receive promptings and follow them, um, God will bless you, I feel like, with more promptings. And so it kind of goes in line with that. I feel like another pattern that I saw from your recovery that really impressed me was that you were willing and able it seems at least in your recovery to take hard steps that needed to be taken towards recovery. And I think the reason this impresses me and kind of the examples that I'll give are, you know, after your sort of miracle moments in the pool and, and just being able to kind of boost yourself forward from that, you knew you had to talk to your Bishop and you did it. And then you knew you had to talk to your wife and you did it. And I'm sure there were a lot more steps and you mentioned a lot of things that you had to do, but you knew like a hard thing that had to happen. And you, like we just talked about, you had to, you prayed for it definitely for help, but you did the hard thing. And another kind of time that that happened, I feel like was in step four, as you were working through step four, it was hard for you and triggering to go through it, but you knew you had to do it. And so you did it and you worked through it. And I think what I think is so cool from that is that recovery is so hard, like you mentioned, and takes a lot of work. And I think a lot of the times when I see people really struggling is because, and me personally as well, is because I am afraid to like take the hard step or like I'm unwilling, I'm unwilling to tell my wife. And so I just keep going in my addiction or I'm unwilling to, you know, do this or that. But I mean, it, it sounds like prayer really has pushed you to do those hard things, but like what else in your mind has like either changed or, or helped you just really, you know, be willing to do those hard things that will lead to recovery? For for me growing up, I, I've had a lot of challenges. I've always had um, weight issues and struggled physically. And I think a lot of it comes down to my leaders growing up. I had a leader in particular who always pushed me to do hard things. He loved He loved hiking mountains. And I was the kind of kid that would eat tons of crap food and play lots of video games and weighed a ton and I didn't want to do physical activities but he got me out and I've I've hiked a number of mountains now with with him and each time we got up to the top and I struggled and struggled and struggled to get up to the top and I would take a thousand breaks along the way and all the other my friends who were into sports would always complain and say we're going too slow but he would always stick, that leader would stick with me. And then when we would get to the top, we'd look at the view and he said, he'd always ask me, is this view worth it? You know, was it worth the effort to see this? And at first the answer was no, nothing is worth this effort. But then the more I did it, the more I loved it. And the answer was yes, the view from up here is worth it. And I think that's stuck with me. And I think that's a major part of my recovery is having the end goal in mind and going, you know what, I'm, I'm going up this difficult mountain from where I'm at right now. But when I get to the end, I'm positive the view is going to be worth it. And I think that has been a major motive, motivation for me in my recovery. Yeah, that's amazing. 
I um I just respect that, and I, I feel like so much of what I've seen of your story has come from being you know being able to do those hard things. Just kind of to switch gears here just a little bit, I guess, and um, kind of talk about something that we talked about. I think just kind of before this, one of the things I feel like that you have also done really well is being able to see your addiction with like new eyes through a new perspective and understanding that repentance is change and like improvement. And so how has your view of your addiction changed as you recovered and become a facilitator and a sponsor and just kind of working through the program? So I, I've been blessed with really good missionaries that over the program, the elders. Mm -hmm. And there's one, there's one in particular that has helped me out a lot. When I feel like I become stagnant, I usually go and talk to them, pull them aside after the meetings and, and talk to them. And usually when I've had those minor relapses, I, I usually go talk to him as well. And he, he would relate, he related a story to me about, about one of the individuals who was paramount in the 12 step program with the, for the church. And he said that from, from the story that the, he went to a meeting and they were in the, the, this individual was there and his wife who helped write the ARP book. And he said that, individual uh this guy he had an addiction to pornography and it it was a very big inspiration for his wife to uh come up with the 12-step program for the to help with the church and he related pornography as a gift Hmm. and you know most guys you know who who in the world views their addiction as a as a gift you know for me it's it, it seems as a curse you know, Heavenly Father's cursed me w- with with this, and the more I realized, the more I thought about, it, the more I realized, no, it it really is, because, you know, in ether, with Moroni and he, he uh, or Mormon, he doesn't he he views he knows he has a weakness in writing, and he's praying to, to Heavenly Father, going, hey, they're gonna read this and they're gonna mock us because we're not very good at writing. And the response was that, no, it'll, it'll be okay. But, you know, I give men, I give unto men weaknesses that they may become humble. You know, and if men come unto me with the weaknesses, I will make them humble. That word stuck out to me, gave. Heavenly Father gave me my addiction so that when I come to him, that I may become humble and that he can make me stronger. And I realized that I, I don't like my addiction by any means, but the steps required to overcome it, uh, make it worth it. Their heavenly father's way of helping me to be incentivized to come unto him, develop relationship with him, to read my scriptures to pray, to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost, to listen to the prophet and to, to act upon what he asked me to do. And I, I believe that my addiction is Heavenly Father's insurance policy that uh, I keep doing the things that he needs me to do so that I can gain eternal life. It, I can, I've also used an analogy as a kite my addiction is the string that 
ties me to Heavenly Father and that keeps me um, up in the sky and keeps me being controlled by Heavenly Father. And without it, I would probably just come crashing down and forget about him and just go on my merry way. But my addiction for me, it has become a blessing because of the things that I have to do to overcome it. And it has brought me so much closer to my heavenly father, but also it has taught me really what the atonement is all about. And that they knew that I was going to goof up, that I was going to screw up and that the atonement was there. Not, uh, it was there when I was going to do that, not if, but when. And so it has given me a whole new perspective and a whole new meaning for what the atonement really is and what it's for. What do you think this would look like kind of as your addiction goes further in the rearview mirror? I mean, in terms of you always, you know, struggle with certain aspects of this, but you know, what if, you know, as things get easier and simpler for you to kind of avoid it, what do you think uh, your reliance on, on Jesus Christ and on God will be at that point? When it becomes more of a memory and maybe those emotions aren't as strong. Yeah. Thing. And just like as reliance on God is maybe not as necessary, uh, I guess, to kind of maintain sobriety. I think that's really what the insurance policy, why it's an insurance policy, because I don't think that no matter how far I distance myself from my addiction, it's always right there. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to fully recover from my addiction and I'll never fully get over it. I think until the resurrection happens, but I, I think that is, I think that's another thing where gratitude really comes in every day. Mm-hmm. If I pray and thank Heavenly father, Hey, thanks for helping me today. Uh, my thoughts are clear, clean today. Um, I, I even think if, if I've gone a day without having any impure thought or lustful desires or anything, I, I thank Heavenly Father for that. And sometimes it takes a moment to stop and realize that he's done that. But I think gratitude helps keep me humble and helps keep me reliant on Heavenly Father uh, from day to day, knowing hey, this sobriety that I have is because of him. And that without this gratitude, without doing the scripture studies or prayer, that it would not take much for me to fall right back into my addiction because my addiction is always right there lurking in the background. Yeah, no, those are, those are great um, thoughts. And I, I just feel like someone going through it could really apply that and and receive so much help from that. I guess just to close out our discussion today, um, I'd like to end just kind of by asking you what advice you have um, just for someone who is early in their recovery and you know working through the steps and trying to find some sobriety. Um, what advice would you have for that person? The biggest thing that I would I would say advice wise is try and do something daily that you can feel the spirit whether that be through prayer through scripture study for me it was conference talks i found myself listening to a conference talks every day and i would start my day out 
listen and I would keep listening to a talk until one talk hit me more than any others. And I felt the spirit and that's the, the feeling, the spirit that day helped me make better choices that day. And ultimately the spirit I think is really what is going to enable someone to live a life in recovery. And so I think it's very important that no matter how you feel the spirit, it's important that you do feel the spirit every day. Yeah, I, I echo that. I think that's great advice and so key in recovery. Um, thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable, for just giving your your thoughts on everything. I, I know that what you said today will definitely impact others uh, in their recovery. So thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast as well as share it with everyone you know. For information about the church's 12-step and support meetings, please visit arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. We encourage everyone to find a sponsor or support person. If you have any questions, feedback, are looking for a sponsor, or would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more guests. So if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed, please contact us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.